day. Um, we are in week three of our series, um, Kensington Goes to the Movie. Oh, I forgot one more announcement. Uh, my bad. Um, we voted three weeks ago on our budget and elders, and I just want to report back to you um, that for our July 1 to June 30th budget for 2018-19, it was 100% vote in favor of, and our elders were like right behind that at 99.8% of the vote um, approved our elders for this next year. So thank you for being a part of that. I wanted to get back with you and say we are on track and started that a few weeks ago. Um, starting July 1. So thank you for, for being a part of the journey this next year with us. Um, so this series we're in, Kensington at the Movies, um, why we're doing it is because there is nothing like movies that tell stories in our culture, right? Um, I mean, they have kind of taken over, taken us over by storm. I believe God designed us with a desire to lean forward when we hear stories. We want to hear how the story plays and how it ends. And from a very young age, if you think back, um, you've probably got a number of movies throughout your life that you remember when you saw it, who you were with, where you saw it, and it impacted you. For me, it was Top Gun really impacted my life. I'm not joking. Top Gun 2 is coming out soon. Like, I'm just like on cloud nine. But uh, for four years of my life, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And then the Air Force kind of turned me down because I had asthma when I was a kid. So I was like, mm, that's what I was supposed to do with my life. But God had other plans for me. So I'm not angry about it. Um, but uh, I, I love jets and flying. And that movie kind of sparked that in me. And throughout our lives, movies come along that impact us. And we, so we picked four blockbuster movies that have happened in the last year. And we've been saying, hey, let's use the storytelling that the best of storytelling that Hollywood has to offer and use that as a medium to bring up spiritual truths about our lives and, and learn what God might want to say to us through these movies. And so we are in week three. The movie is Black Panther. And um, I know, how many of you have seen it? How many of you have seen that movie? Okay, a lot of you have seen it. Most of you have seen it. Um, it really had a huge impact on audiences worldwide, um, especially in the African-American community. It just had huge impact um, in, in, in that community. And so we just thought, man, let's, let's tell that story and use that story to talk about the church. And to do that is one of my very good friends, Jason Rates. Um, he's speaking today, and uh, you just need to know a little bit about him. He actually travels around the country speaking. Um, he's, in the, he's in the middle of doing that right now, um, and he happens to be in Florida, so I grabbed him up. But he was actually my, my junior high guy at Northridge Church, my last church in 2002. We are so old. I hired Jason. I was actually old enough in 2002 to hire somebody. Like, how did that happen? Um, and so now we talk about how much gray hair we got. It's kind of funny. Um, uh, but Jason uh, actually was our, our, my junior high guy for a little while, and then he's gone on to, to launch a church in Mount Pleasant, Mount Pleasant, Michigan, and he's now the lead pastor there. And so I'm really excited for you to hear from him. He's a great communicator um, about the movie Black Panther. And so you're going to hear from him in just a minute, but before he comes up, we want to do what we call the Kensington Crunch because there's still people walking in looking for seats. I want to ask you to stand up, say hello to somebody around you, move into the middle or move forward, leaving seats on the back and on the edges for people walking in. And answer, who is your favorite character in Black Panther? Kensington Church, how are we doing today? Very good, so nice to see you. I am so honored to be a guest speaker in this series. 
partly because I absolutely love your pastor. Uh, like Kevin said, we've known each other for a very, very long time and so appreciate him and his heart and his family and this church. Absolutely love this church. And I just love being in Florida because I pretend it's January right now. Because where I live in January, it is very cold. It is very, very cold. It's to the point where your face freezes when you walk outside. So this is very nice to be here, and I'm just excited uh, to be able to be with you guys on this, uh, this Sunday. Actually, I spent the last week in Florida speaking for another church here in town. They did a middle school summer camp, and they asked me to come and speak their, to their students. And I asked their students at one point, how many of you have never seen or touched snow face-to-face, -face, up close with it, and 75% of the room raised their hand. And I said, listen, never go close to it. Stay away from it. So I know some of you probably have migrated here or missed snow or you look at it on the photos and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. Stay away. Stay away. Well, hey, I can remember one of the first times in my life when I really started to fall in love with movies. I'm going to show you fourth grade Jason. Um... This guy is quite a stud. I mean, look at the red belt. I mean, the swagger on this guy is off the charts. He was a ladies' man, very much so. I got my little, my little notebook there. Uh, I can remember in the fourth grade for the first time is when I first started falling in love with movies. Before that, I watched movies. I loved, we all love movies. But in fourth grade, I started to fall in love with movies. Movies like Indiana Jones and E.T. and like Kevin mentioned, Top Gun. Like there is so much awesomeness that happens from the movies. And I love to be a part of this series, Kensington Goes to the Movies. And back home, the church I pastor, Thrive Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, where there is no mountain. And it is pleasant a couple of months of the year because the other months we have snow and ice and black ice. But the, 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 move, the place that we use, you guys use a gym, we use a real live movie theater. And so there's nothing better than church with the smell of buttered popcorn. Like you're leaving church on Sundays and people just get into this like, oh. And people start to complain. They're like, we should have popcorn at church. And I'm like, it's not free. Like, I don't understand. But I love the movies. I love that we get a chance to be able to do this. And I love today the movie we're looking at because it is a movie that made like a gazillion billion dollars overnight. Like it was one of, I think, the best Avenger movies. My teenage boys uh, disagree with me. They think there's other movies that are better, better in the Marvel galaxy, but I think Black Panther was the absolute best. But before we hop into Black Panther, I want to ask you a question about the church. Not, not so much this church, it's part of this, but the big C church, the local church. Like, have you ever noticed that when you talk to people who have given up on God or given up on church, you might get a mixed response about the church? Uh, some people say that the church has been this incredible force for good around the world, helping more than hurting. Others are, are quick to point that the church has caused as much pain around the world as anything else. Some would say that the church should be doing more to alleviate pain and suffering. Some should say the church should get its nose out of some places that it's in. There are so many questions about the church. There are so many questions about people voicing it. And especially as I sit down with people who are far from God, who may have once been close to God, but now they've given up, or they've walked away, or they're mad at God, or they're mad at the church. Sometimes there's lots of questions about the church. What's the purpose? What's our responsibility to the world around us? What should we be doing? The same questions that we see in this movie, Black Panther. We see in this movie, Black Panther. 
the Wakandan people in Black Panther faced a similar question. These people had, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a few bits and then we're going to watch a couple video clips. They have incredible resources. They have incredible technology. And the reality is, is they hid them from the world. So they're hidden in plain sight from everybody. So all of these resources they have, all of the resources that could be going to help the world around them, they, they hid. And, and sometimes, like, it's their way to, like, just kind of stay out of everybody's business. And so what I want to do is I want to show you this first clip that kind of gives us a look at how amazing this people of the Wakandan culture is. Let's watch this. Baba? Yes, my son? Tell me a story. <laughs> Which one? The story of whom? Millions of years ago, a meteorite made of vibranium, the strongest substance in the universe, struck the continent of Africa, affecting the plant life around it. And when the time of men came, Five tribes settled on it and called it Wakanda. The tribes lived in constant war with each other until a warrior shaman received a vision from the panther goddess Bust, who led him to the heart-shaped herb, a plant that granted him superhuman strength, speed, and instincts. The warrior became king and the first black panther the protector of Wakanda. Four tribes agreed to live under the king's rule, but the Jabari tribe isolated themselves in the mountains. The Wakandans used vibranium to develop technology more advanced than any other nation. But as Wakanda thrived, the world around it descended further into chaos. To keep vibranium safe, the Wakandans vowed to hide in plain sight, keeping the truth of their power from the outside world. And we still hide, Baba? Yes. Why? Sister Nakia, my prince, we are home.
come home, Nakia. I'm right here. Stay. I came to support you and to honor your father, but I can't stay. It's just I found my calling out there. I've seen too many in need just to turn a blind eye. I can't be happy here knowing that there's people out there who have nothing. What would you have Wakanda do about it? Share what we have. We could provide aid and access to technology and refuge to those who need it. Other countries do it. We could do it better. You are not like these other countries, Nakia. If the world found out what we truly are, what we possess, we could lose our way of life. Wakanda is strong enough to help others and protect ourselves at the same time. If you are not so stubborn, you would make a great queen. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. Ah, if, if, if that's what I wanted. <laughs> Sorry to pass She's still growing. Of course. I see Makia is back. You guys going to work it out. Jala. What's wrong? Akia thinks we should be doing more. More like what? Foreign aid, refugee programs. You let the refugees in? They bring their problems with them. And then Wakanda is like everywhere else. Now, if you said you wanted me and my men to go out there and clean up the world, then I'd be all for it. But waiting war on other countries has never been our way. When we show a video clip at uh, my church in Mount Pleasant, since we're in a movie theater, when we get done, everyone like groans because they want the movie to stay on because they're in the big movie seats with like their cup holders and all that kind of stuff. That kind of gives you a glimpse into the Wakandan society, the Wakandan culture, how they were hiding in plain sight and they were keeping the truth of their power from the outside world. You heard the quote, we still hide why? Like there are so many things that we could talk about when it comes to this movie. And if you haven't seen it, there are so many storylines. The narrative is so rich. So rich. After the death of his father, T'Challa returns home to become the king of the African nation Wakanda and to take his rightful place. Then, like every story has, a villain appears. And the enemy comes and he is powerful and he is ready to take over King T'Challa's reign as king and as Black Panther. And his whole world gets turned upside down because he gets tested and he's drawn into this conflict. And at the same time that this enemy is attacking, the whole narrative underneath all of this is we have all these resources. Should we be helping the world? That's what he's faced with. He's faced with treachery and danger. He has to rely on his allies. He has to release the power of the Black Panther so he could defeat his foes. And in the middle of all of this, the Wakandan people are sitting on resources and technology that could help the world. You even saw the clip there for a minute. Nakia shares that she can no longer sit by and just wait. 
She says, we have to share what we have. Wakanda is strong enough to help others and protect ourselves at the same time. And so many people that I talk to and thoughts that I've even had when it comes to the church, we have to get to the same place. That's one of the complaints about the church is the church not doing enough. Because sometimes for some people, and I've been there and I'm guilty of it, the church has become a place you go. And it kind of becomes, after a while, it kind of feels like a country club. It kind of feels like a club. Like I go there, I have my seat, this is what we do, this is what happens. I kind of like it my way. New people start to come to the church and sometimes they're not felt, they don't feel all that welcome. They sometimes feel judged. And we have to be the kind of people in the church that is a movement. Because when the early church started in Acts chapter 2, as you trace the early church's birth, it was a movement. It was so much about reaching out and reaching other people. And sometimes we become just like the culture of Wakanda. We have all these great resources. We have all these great gifts among us. But we're, we're just sort of like, we're just hiding in plain sight. In, in the New Testament, there's a book um, called James. And it's the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this book. And he, he didn't really buy what Jesus was saying at first. And, and he came around, and if your brother believes that you're the son of God, I think that's probably a good a good reference point to go, okay, if the, the half-brother of Jesus believed that Jesus is who he says he was, okay, I'm, I'm going to believe. Because my brother, like, if, if I were to convince him I was the son of, like, there's just no way. So, okay, a brother. So the brother is writing these things to the church. And he says this in James 2, 14 to 17, to us, to the church of his day and the church of this day. And it'll be on the screen. He says, what good is it? So right away, James starts with a rhetorical question. What good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but no deeds can such faith save them suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to them go in peace keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs what good is it in the same way faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead what good is it have you ever had those questions? Have you ever asked that question? It's nice that someone just called me to check in, but man, I would have loved for them to show up. Like, what good is it? What good is it if we, we see the need and then we do nothing about the need? What good is it? Uh, in my town in, in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, we're in the very middle of the mitten. Very, very middle of the mitten. The mitten. This is what we do in Michigan. We really do it. I was born here in Detroit. I lived in the suburbs of Detroit, I moved to Chicago, and now I live in the very center of the state. This is a very real thing. I don't see people going, yep, I'm down here, I live here. I just don't see it very often. Here I see it. And so we live in the very middle. We have a university called Central Michigan University. And every fall, as new students are coming, there's a guy by the name of Pastor John. I'm doing quotes, and he brings this little stage, and he stands up on it in the middle of campus, and he holds these signs that says, God hates sinners, and God hates you. And he just screams all of this stuff. And all these people start engaging. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The people who have given up on God, the people who have given up on church, don't judge church on that guy. Because he's just saying stuff. Let's be the church that actually does stuff. Let's actually be the church that helps. Because James is saying, just claiming to have faith, it's not enough. Just claiming to say you're going to help, it's not enough. Genuine faith shows up. Genuine faith does it because 
We have the power of the resurrection because Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the grave, defeated sin and shame, and we have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Our faith can move out. Our faith can do something. We just can't say we will help. Oh, it'd be so nice if I could help. We can't just say it. Just claiming to have faith is not enough. Just claiming to say you're going to help is not enough. Show it. And James writes a lot about the needs of the poor. And the reality is there are so many needs all around us. I hope you leave with, with one big idea, and I hope you leave with this. We need to do something about the pain and suffering we see in the world. You and I, you, I, we, we need to do something. Everyone can do something. There is no shortage of pain in this world. Everywhere we turn, there is people in need. And the amazing part of God's story, the amazing part of God's story, how the God of the universe, he chooses us to be a part of his story. And we get to be a part of his story, and we get to be part of the plan bringing help to this world, to his kingdom. We get to be a part. Tomorrow morning, some of you will go to a job you hate. Every single day, you complain to your spouse. You complain to somebody. You complain to the almighty Facebook. Every day. But what if, what if for a second, what if you went, okay, God, maybe this is part of your plan for me to help somebody who is suffering from pain or suffering. And some of you are going, but who's helping me from the pain of my job? Maybe tomorrow morning you could have a new approach with that. Maybe tomorrow morning you're going to see your neighbor in need or, or somebody in need, and you can go, wait a minute, I, I, I am the one who can help. Last Sunday I had the, the privilege to speak in a, a, at a church outside of Memphis. And that afternoon the pastor took us to downtown Memphis. And we saw the church where Dr. Martin Luther King preached his last sermon. And then we came around the corner and we saw the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was assassinated, where he was murdered. And I stood there outside of this hotel and it was such a powerful moment. Because for me, as I read scripture, I know that God has created each of us equal and he loves all of us. And I read Dr. King's speeches and his messages and the profound impact he had on the world. And it's just overwhelming and powerful. And I love this quote Dr. King said. He said, keep feeling the need to be first, but I want you to be first in love. I want you to be first in moral excellence. I want you to be first in generosity. Like this is it. So when James says what good is in it, let's, let's, let's be that kind of people. Let's be that kind of people who go, you know what, there's pain and suffering everywhere. There's a tremendous story in the New Testament that Jesus tells about how you and I can very practically be a part of the answer to this pain and suffering. And if you grew up in church, you're going to recognize this story. If you haven't, it's going to be new. I'm going to, I'm going to tell it. The scripture will be on the screen. But in Luke chapter 10... This is the story. It says this in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, before I go on to the next one, when it says an expert in the law, uh, this is not like a lawyer, uh, your honor, my client's not guilty. No, it, it's, a, it's an expert in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It, it's an expert in the law. So this guy knew scripture backwards and forwards. And so he, he's actually, he's trying to trip up Jesus a little bit. 
So he says, what do I got to do in inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, like Jesus does so often because he's masterful at this, he asks a question with a question. Do you have friends like that? Do you have parents like that? Like they just like, just give me the answer. And so Jesus asks a question with a question. He says, what's written in the law? And so this guy, because he's an expert in the law, he knows the answer. And he says, how do you read it? He answered. So the guy said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. See, what this guy did is he just took two verses from the law. One in Deuteronomy, one in Leviticus, and he put them together. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But. There's always a big but. And big butts are awesome. I love to say that. Because we're all 13-year-olds down deep. We really are. We really are. So some of you are like, oh, don't judge me. We all love it. He says this. He, he says, who's my neighbor? Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know there's lots of pain and suffering. I know there's lots of people who need help. But who's my neighbor? Because I don't want to help the wrong person. And Jesus, like, he's so masterful. Like, he just tells stories to answer questions. And so often he answers questions with questions. Did, did you know, this is kind of crazy, according to my math, 300 and sometimes Jesus asks a question in Scripture. 183 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, People came to Jesus with a question, and only three times he answered them. He always answered with a question. And so this time, he tells a story. And it's a powerful, powerful, powerful story. And I think we all get to the place where we realize, wait a minute, there is stuff that I need to be doing, and i got to be able to do it. Now, in the story of Black Panther, this is the part of the movie. We just kind of skipped through it. We breezed through it, but I'm going to bring you up to speed. This is where that enemy kind of rose up against King T'Challa, and he challenges them to this fight, where I thought it would be a blast to reenact the fight, but that idea got shot down. But they, they do this fight, and King T'Challa loses, and he falls over this waterfall, and everybody thinks he's dead and he's gone. But see, just like God's story, God is in the redemption business. He is in the redeeming business. And King T'Challa is not dead. He's actually found by one of the tribes that broke away from those original tribes. And they hold him. And then his family members find him. And he's got to learn how to do good. He's got to learn how to come to grips with what he needs to do through this season of suffering. Because he went through the season of suffering. And he gets to this place where he's like on his deathbed. On his deathbed. And so this is this next scene, kind of sets up where we're going, where King T'Challa figures out, okay, I've got to do something. So let's watch this, this clip. Jan. The time has come for you to come home. Be reunited with me. Hunkuba. Why didn't you bring the boy home? Why, Baba? He... He was the truth I chose to omit. You were wrong to abandon him. I chose my people. I chose Wakanda. Our future depended you on... You were wrong! All of you were wrong! To turn your backs on the rest of the world! 
We let the fear of our discovery stop us from doing what is right. No more. I cannot stay here with you. I cannot rest. While he sits on the throne, he is a monster of our own making. I must take the mantle back. I must. I must right these wrongs. When you said you would take me to California for the first time, I thought you meant Coachella or Disneyland. Why here? This is where our father killed our uncle. They're tearing it down. Good. They are not tearing it down. I bought this building. And that building. And that one over there. This will be the first Wakanda International Outreach Center. Nakia will oversee the social outreach. You will spearhead the science and information exchange. You're kidding. Eh? My name is King T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. I am the sovereign ruler of the nation of Wakanda. And for the first time in our history, we will be sharing our knowledge and resources with the outside world. Wakanda will no longer watch from the shadows. We cannot. We must not. We will work to be an example of how we as brothers and sisters on this earth should treat each other. Now more than ever, the illusions of division threaten our very existence. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. We must find a way to look after one another as if we were one single tribe. With all due respect, King T'Challa, what can a nation of farmers have to offer the rest of the world? 
I love that question. Like, what does a nation of farmers have to offer the world? Offer the world. Like we just talked about, this is just after King Kachala gets his kingdom, king, kingdom back. He defeats the enemy, and he comes to this realization through this personal battle, this struggle, that the Wakandan people have to do more for the world. They have to do more for the world. Because you and I, there, we see pain and suffering every single day. God is using us because here's the powerful truth. There is no one on planet Earth that God doesn't love. There is not one person that you will look into the eyes of that God doesn't love. There is not one person. So you and I get to be a part of bringing his hope. The church no longer can just hide the resources like the Wakandan people. We have to offer them to the world. In the church, we have so many resources. For us, personally, in our family, we have been wrestling for years about adopting. Should, should we adopt someday? Is God calling us to adopt? Is, is that one of the ways that we can provide a need? We didn't know. We were wrestling. My wife comes from a family who adopted. They had three biological kids, adopted five children. Each of the five children had special needs, so cerebral palsy. and I mean, just this whole line of special needs. Just incredible people. Uh, my father-in-law still scares me to death. But just incredible people. Incredible people. Um, and so he had laid on our heart for a long time. And so <clears throat> we finally got to the point where we're like, okay, this is one of the ways. And, and my wife and I have four children, 18, almost 16, 14, 10. And our two youngest have this genetic disorder called phenylketonuria, or PKU for short. It's a rare genetic thing. Uh, take too much time to explain. But we really felt like God was calling us to adopt a child who also had PKU. Because we already knew the genetic disorder, we knew the lifestyle. We thought, okay, God, lead us to someone who, who needs a forever home. That, that could be our way to provide help. And he led us to this little girl in China. And we named her after my wife's two grandmothers who had passed away, Winona May. We started the adoption process. We started all the it's mounds of paperwork, and it's, it's raising money, and it's approvals and approvals and paperwork and home study and this and LOI. And there, I mean, there's all this stuff that has to happen. And we were moving through the process, and we were getting to the point where we were going to be months and months away of going to China to bring our daughter home. And one day in February of 2016, we got a call that changed our lives, and the orphanage had called uh, our adoption agency, and our adoption agency called my wife, and she uh, let my wife know that our daughter, Winona, had passed away. That uh, an infection and a sickness got into the orphanage, and because they didn't have central heating, uh, many babies died. And it just broke us. Like that pain and suffering we've been talking about, like we, we were there. Like we experienced that pain and suffering. And our family just struggled. Okay, God, you called us to adopt this little girl. Uh, now what? N now what? Uh, before, I, before I tell you the, the story, let me finish the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10 in verse 30. He says this, in reply, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him, went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn. 
Like, why did they have to strip him? They not only robbed him, they stripped him, they humiliated him. Some of the same ways the Romans humiliated Jesus. And Jesus is telling the story probably to a large gathering of Jewish people. And the Jewish people probably, when they heard the word priest, they thought right away, okay, okay, the priest is going to take care of the guy. And he doesn't. And probably down deep, they're probably like, okay, that's good. Because they probably had a little thing towards the priest with the elitism culture and all that kind of stuff. Then he says the, the Levite. Well, the Levite was like the priest's assistant. They thought, okay, he's going to help. And he didn't. And they're like, okay, so the crowd's getting revved up like movies do, right? Stories, they rev us up. They move us to action. And these Jewish people probably thought Jesus was about to say, and a Jewish person came by and saved the day. And he pulls one over on them, and he says, a Samaritan. Now, why, why is that a thing? Because the Jews hated the Samaritans. Like, next level hate. Like, down in the, like, like, hated them. So the people are getting frustrated. And not only does Jesus make the Samaritan out to be the hero, he is the superhero in the story. Like, he saw the man, he rescued him, he bandaged him, he poured on oil and wine, he put him on his donkey, he took him to an inn. Like, he, he just went over and above. I love Dr. Martin Luther King's take on this passage. He says, the first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? What will happen to him? And that's what we need to do. We need to stop thinking so much about me. The problem is some of us have this disease called me-itis. I have it. You have it. We all have it. We need to start talk, thinking about the needs of others. And we have to remember that you and I, we can actually do something about the pain and suffering. Just like King T'Challa got to the point where he went through his struggle. He went through the fight. He went to the, came to the realization. He even approached like all the former kings. And he said, you guys did this wrong. We now have to help the world. And you and I, we can do that. We can help the world. And what this story teaches us from Jesus is that good can come from unexpected places. Some of us are sitting here going, I, I, I can't do anything. I, I, I got kids. I got a job. I got more debt than you'll possibly ever make. I'm busy. Like, I got a golf later. Like, I am busy. I'm busy. But the reality is every single day, God gives you and I opportunities to help. And, and maybe it's not adoption. Maybe it's not something major like picking someone up who's been beaten. Maybe tomorrow it, it's giving a word of encouragement. Maybe tomorrow at work it's being a light in the darkness. Uh, Luke 10, 35, Jesus finishes the story. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense. So then Jesus asked, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. And so Jesus says, go and do. See, this story about Jesus, it teaches us that good can come from unexpected places and that we need to go over and above with our help. We need to go over and above. In Black Panther, the Wakandan people had all of this education, all of this technology. And at the end of the movie, you saw, like he's standing in front of the United Nations and he says, we're going to open this up. Like we're going to help. And in the same way like the Samaritan, we can help people. We can see them. We can feel their needs. We can kneel beside them. We can soothe them. We can bandage them. We can put them in help. We can take them. We can take care of them. And then Jesus' words in the final end of the story is just go do it. Like go do it today. Go do it. Like very simply, you could ask God today before you leave this room, God, point out one person today that I could help. 
that I could be your light, that I could be your son too, that I could help end pain and suffering. And I believe Jesus will put someone on your heart or bring someone across your path. It's, it's so crazy how often he does in my life. And I'm like, no, no, God, I just prayed that prayer. Like, you don't have to do it now. Like, give me a week or something. Let me get my, you know, let me get my act together first. So our adoption story, one of the ways that, that we just felt called to kind of help someone to, a few months went by, and we just kept praying. We just f- kept feeling this, okay, God, we really believe that you're still calling us to adopt. And the craziest God-like thing happened. Like, we had no idea how we were going to adopt a little, a little child from overseas. The costs were extravagant. All of the paperwork was unbelievable. We had no idea. But we just kept taking steps, taking steps. And so I want to show this video to show you uh, kind of how our story ended but really just begun. Let's watch this video together. I want to tell Kai's story because it's emotional for me because a few years ago, his parents in China, they sat Kai down on the street and they left. from Kai's family. I tried to see his mom and dad leaving him. This was the emotional part for me. As I walked around and listened to all the sounds and took in all the sights, I wondered if I could see them leaving him in my head. What would that have been like? Was it hard? Was it heartbreaking? Was it so painful that their heart tore in two? We were told his parents were probably from a small village and took the train to the big town to leave him because they knew once he was found, he would have a better chance at life. Kai has utterly and completely changed our life. Every time he smiles, we're captivated. Every time he laughs, we lose our breath. Every time he giggles, we can't stop smiling. (laughs) Only if his biological parents could see him now. Their son is going to grow up in the U.S., have a dad that wants nothing more than to see his kids succeed and to be loved and to fall in love with Jesus. He has a family who will forever adore him. What a life he will have. You know, I think that letter is what we're trying to do for every single kid that no one's willing to fight for. We're going to fight for them. And Kai is one of those. But now Kai is smiling and living an awesome life with his forever family. Isn't that cool? Like, isn't it just, yeah, like, pretty unbelievable. How, how God moved. Earlier in the week, we got invited by the Tim Debo Foundation to uh, come down to their offices in Jacksonville. So Tim wasn't there, or Timmy, as they call him. I, I'll never call him Timmy. Um, 
But uh, Tim wasn't there, but we, we sat in his office. There's a picture. Kai's actually in the room. Kai sat in his chair, and, and we saw Tim Tebow's baseball for his first minor league hit and, and uh, his Heisman SB. Like, it was, cr- it was just crazy. But never in a million years did we think that we could actually do anything, yet God used us to adopt this little, this little boy. And I'll tell you this, the church is the reason we were able to adopt him. There were churches all over this country that took offerings for us, that sent us gifts, that sent us encouragement. It was just powerful. So here's my challenge to you today. Like you and I, we can do something about the pain and suffering. Our eyes can be opened like the Wakandan people. And we can move out into this world and do something. Just absolutely amazing. So let's take that step together and let's go and do. Let me pray for you. God, we just thank you so much for this time together this morning. God, we thank you for this beautiful morning that we can come and worship you, that we can come and be together as a church. And God, today, give us the courage to take the step to go and do. God, give us the courage today to open up our eyes, to use the resources and the gifts that you've given us to help end the pain and suffering in the world around us. So today, God, may it start today. Use us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen, amen, amen.